beautiful beautiful day so we had an amazing interview with sierra prosnick who is a a film and music composer actually in canada she was born in alberta canada and pretty much it was a really fun interview i really enjoyed it and you know what i hope you guys enjoy it as well um it's yeah like i said i'm just going to jump into the interview um it's about an hour and 25 minutes hope you guys enjoy it and, you know, I think when it comes to doing interviews and whatnot, I think literally I'm just going to, you know, if I have an interview, I'm just going to talk for like maybe like two minutes or whatever and then just do the interview. I think it's a good idea. I think it's a really good idea. Anyways, yeah. So if you guys are new, like, subscribe, Spotify, Google Podcast, Anchor.fm and much more. Follow me, TJTV, on Facebook and YouTube and so on and so forth. But yeah, and anyways, let's get on with the interview. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it, and then we will be back right after this. All right, I'm here with Sierra Poroznik, who is a Canadian singer and composer. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. It's nice to meet you. Nice so, to meet you, too. Thank you. So how did you get into composing and singing? I saw you went to Berkeley College of Music when you moved to L.A., but how did you get into that? What inspired you? Uh, I can actually remember the the day um, I was in. Well, I started voice and piano lessons when I was really young. I was about four. Um, and so I always I always had kind of music in me and I never really wanted to do anything else. But the moment that I realized I wanted to compose for um, film and TV, I was eight years old and I was in my best friend's basement. And I remember her saying, um, you know, there's this movie I just saw. It's really weird, but you're going to love it. And it was um, Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. I love that movie. Just bawling by the end. Um, the cue ice dance hit and I was just in, in just a mess in tears, this little eight-year-old. Um, and so I can remember that moment really vividly. And that was the moment that I really realized this was um something that I wanted to do for my life. And, um, and it really never changed. I, I started writing songs as like a, a singer songwriter, I guess, when I was about uh, 10, I taught myself guitar um, and started writing songs um, because I also really enjoy lyric writing. Um, but uh, as much as I enjoyed performing, it was never my kind of end goal um, I always kind of performed in the goal of sharing what I had written and what I had created. Um, and once I got to my degree, 
my music degree, um, I did the first couple years of the general because you you don't get to choose your major until kind of halfway through the second year. And so I was performing a bit in the first uh, year and a half, but um, I I don't really miss it. It was a what I I didn't necessarily want to do for the rest of my life. And once our composition classes started, it just lit the fire in me, and it was upwards from there. So. I, uh, that's where I've been for the last, I guess, um, 10 years now since I started my degree at least. And, uh, I've been writing music for, I guess you could say almost, almost 20 years, which is pretty wow. crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's great. You don't look, I mean, so you've been writing music for 20 years. You do, mm. you look like you're in your twenties. <laughs> I mean, technically I am. I turned 29 in a month and a half. So, so. you're only, yeah, you're a year older than me then. That's, that's yeah. what you <laughs> I, so. I, I know I look younger than I am too, though. I always have. So <laughs> that uh, it plays in my favor sometimes and other times not so much. So <laughs> yeah, I, I get that a lot. I mean, if I go to a bar, they check my ID and they literally stare at it for like, 45 minutes it feels like so <laughs> well, you're, and you're in the u.s right where it's 21 yeah um and here it's eight in my province it's 18 in the in most other provinces it's 19 so i at least look 18 so they've stopped looking at my id when i'm at home which is you know that's a big moment so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you grew up in canada alberta canada right i did yeah i grew up uh born and raised edmonton alberta um, it's the most Northern kind of city, big city, basically in Canada. I mean, lots of people would want to argue with that, but it's a, it's a very large city and it's very far North <laughs> compared to most cities in Canada and it gets very, very cold. And, uh, so I spend a lot of time in, you know, alone indoors and that was, probably fed a lot into my practicing and my creating and I was a dancer for um many years as well so that really played into my love for music and creation and visual art especially as well I years and uh that was that was one of the best decisions I ever made it was an amazing experience and I met just the coolest people and we don't really have uh like a it even so it, it was called the arts school but it was still a public school so I um we didn't really have like a performing arts school really it was the closest thing we had to that and it was still spectacular they still did a really wonderful job yeah, so no. um, yeah so that's that's where I was born and raised but I've kind of lived all over I lived in Vancouver for a little bit I lived in New York for a little bit I lived obviously in LA uh, for a, a little bit longer <laughs> and uh, and now I kind of am just on I'm back and forth a lot I'm kind of just sitting on the fence <laughs> a lot between Canada between Edmonton and uh and LA 
So that's where I'm at now. So when you went to college out in Berkeley, did you have to get a visa or did you get a joint citizenship as well when you lived there? So how did that all work? So the the Berkeley certificate in particular was online. I got my degree in Canada and then I uh, did the certificate online with Berkeley, but realized I had to be in the middle of the action. I couldn't I couldn't stay here and really get uh, the knowledge and the experience that I was really wanting. So then I applied for the uh, film scoring program at UCLA. And that's when I moved to Los Angeles and lived there for a while. I worked uh, at two different companies. I did two internships and uh, was studying and was scoring short films. It was a very, very busy year. (laughs) I worked for Craft Angle Management, which is the agency for pretty much all of the top composers in the industry. And I learned a lot because I was able to build demo reels and um, you would build like demo reels to send to directors and things to pitch certain composers for certain projects. So I would be one of those to kind of create those for specific projects, which was so much fun. And I just adored it. And then I worked at Remote Control Productions, which is Hans Zimmer's uh, conglomerate studio um, and kind of assisted his team in a way. I, but what was, what was so great about it was that it was um, for those that don't know, he kind of works in like a complex of a bunch of studios and a lot of the top composers right now in the industry actually work in a studio space within his complex. So I was able to go and and meet and sit in on a lot of these really amazing um, sessions, spotting sessions, recording sessions, all kinds of things. And I just, I met everyone I could meet and I made all the friends I could and I learned every little ounce I could, even though I was really only taking out the trash and making the coffee, but I just, I took every chance to learn from all of it. And I just adored it. I begged them to let me do it again. Um, cause it was only for five weeks and I was still living in LA for a while on the student visa. So you can get student visas, uh, for the entirety of your program, but, um, it just depends on it's the same visa, I think, but just different time frames depending on what your program is. Right. Um, but that was that was the reason why I had to return to Canada. It it worked out better, um, actually, because I uh, I didn't. It's really hard to get a visa as a freelancer, and I just wasn't at that point yet in my career uh, to really. I think go for it. So, and I knew that. So when my student visa expired, I came back to Canada and that was nearing, it was about the fall of 2019. And I was able to build my, basically my dream studio here uh, in my hometown, which was really, really amazing. And I'm able to have a space to work in um, Orange County, which is close to Los Angeles, obviously. Um, So I have spaces to work in both places. But I came back, uh, built a studio here. Um, I had a couple kind of bigger gigs. I got like a really big placement on NBC. 
early January 2020 and thought, you know, this is going to be my year. This is my big break. It's going to happen. And then a month later, we're in lockdown. So, uh, (laughs) so that's been, um, you know, it it was obviously a very difficult time for everybody on the planet, Um, me, myself included and my family. And luckily, you know, after a year or so, things started picking up again. And so the last uh, few years, finally, the ball has been rolling and things have been getting back to working and 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 doing what I love to do. So, yeah, that's kind of where I, where I'm at now. <laughs> and the NBC that was on uh, whatever it takes, correct? It was. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was a hockey document. Well, the. It's a hockey documentary, but it was based around one particular player who had a really significant injury. And the way uh, one of my best friends is a doctor and actually she really enjoyed the documentary because it was quite a marvel medically the way that he was able to um, overcome this this injury and come back stronger. And I was very lucky because the um, the director and producers really wanted something dramatic. And that's really what I enjoy doing. Uh, they didn't want just like the normal documentary kind of just make things less awkward and stay out of the way kind of thing. It was very much like they wanted a dramatic and um, kind of action feel for the music. So I really got to um, stretch my wings and, and take, um, you know, take chances that I really was excited about. And so I was really happy about it. And I was really happy about it being released. Everybody seemed to receive it really well. And, uh, and I was really looking forward to reaping the rewards of that. And, uh, unfortunately all of us were looking forward to that year, (laughs) I think in some way or another, and it let us all down. So, (laughs) so your, your style is more, so for the film, it's more of a dramatic take. And does that actually connect more with you compared to a happier take when it comes to composing or writing music? Uh, well, so to kind of answer your question in a different way, um, my, I guess you would call my style more is narrative versus like a documentary. Um, I, I have done documentaries. I enjoy documentaries as well, but I really feed off of emotion and the arc of a story and the, um, and the progression of characters and relationships. And I really, I really feel that. And that's what really drives my passion in my work as well. So when, I do a documentary. I enjoy doing it. It's fun. It's good. But when I have a great story with great characters and great emotions and and beautiful moments to really um, make the audience feel something, that's what I love to do. I really just love to create emotion in the audience. And if I can't make myself cry with my work, then I'm not going to make anybody else cry. And so that's like kind of always been my goal is I've got to feel it. And I, it's got to give me goosebumps because if it's not giving me goosebumps, it's not going to give anybody else goosebumps. And I get that with narrative films more than, um, than non-narrative, I guess. No, I get that completely. I mean, 
it's the same thing when it comes to like filming because i do film on the side like mm-hmm. i created a series loosely based off of covid and i had to put myself in the character's shoes and it, like it kind of put me in more of a like a depression state when i'm like doing like you know portraying the character who is going through this whole you know ordeal with the pandemic and whatnot you know what i mean yeah absolutely it's um there's so many different stories from different people everybody experienced it so differently and i think that i think that there's a lot that we can share with the world that everyone can share with the world about it and i think that people are working towards that and i hope they are um because i would hate to look at that year as a waste you know i think that there was so much that came out of that year that we want to ignore because it was hard but at the same time we can't just ignore that it didn't happen like we can't say it didn't happen it happened and the only thing that we can do that would be positive is use it in a positive way and i think that film is one of those fields that really allows for that to happen because you have the ability to just you know, put your brain on display, basically put your memories and your emotions and your thoughts, everything into something that can be shared with the world. And I think that in film in particular, that we should not let that opportunity pass us by. What was it like for you when the lockdown happened? And what what's it like in Canada as well? Because I know like the US and Canada, we all have we have different laws, obviously, but what was it like for you? I think it was, from what I understand, it was pretty similar in in general terms of restrictions. Um, we may have been stricter at certain times than than you guys, um, but for the most part, it, it was it was pretty much the same. We followed a lot of the same kind of timing of rules and things for the most part, and uh, lockdown was tough, but it really gave us a chance to try new things and learn new things. And I really, I really tried my best to take that as the positive. And, and that's the beauty of my work too, is that it is so solitary that I can do, there wasn't, there weren't really any jobs because everything that um, that I was going to be hired on or had been hired on either lost funding or stopped production or anything like that. And so kind of everything fell through work-wise, but we, it, it allowed me time to just practice and learn and absorb and do things for just me that, you know, I wouldn't normally do because I'd be so busy with work and family time and, whatever else. Right. And, um, so I don't know, I, I try to just look at the silver linings as much as I can. And I think another silver lining of it is that it shows how much somebody can do remotely, which for me is a, is a benefit because I would love to be able to do Hollywood films and not have to live in Hollywood because getting visas are really hard and being a freelancer you don't really need that and um so ideally for me I'd be able to just fly back and forth but still be doing uh work in 
LA for the most part would be my ideal situation. And I, I'm hoping that COVID gave everybody an opportunity to see that you don't have to be in the location of a, a geographical location to be a part of a community and to be a part of um, the opportunities that you want. I think that COVID hopefully gave people the perspective of we can hire somebody from anywhere because what really are we doing in person, especially in my world? We may have a spotting session or a meeting in person, but now we can do it all virtually and I can fly back and forth. So I'm hoping that there's several silver linings in the year and I'm trying to take as much as I can um, positively from that time as possible. Now, when you were getting into music and all this stuff, when you were a kid, did your parents support it or were they against it? Because I know how some parents, they want, you know, better for their kids, obviously. But you also got to think, though, too, like you have a dream and you want to pursue it. Now, how did that work with your parents? I was actually really, really lucky. Um, No one in my family is musical at all. The only um, distant relative that I know of is my great-grandfather on my dad's mom's side built violins, which is really cool, but I never knew him. He died before I was born. Hmm. Um, The rest of my family, they aren't musical. My sister danced um, when, when we were both young, we were dancers. Um, But she, and she took piano and stuff like that. She never did it as a career. Um, But my parents, even though they were, they're not, even really in the creative world, they were always so supportive, a hundred percent, like hands down, they would say, you know, we have no idea what you're doing, but you're obviously doing it well. And they just saw how passionate I was about it. And they saw how, um, how people were receiving my work, even though they didn't necessarily understand the details and the work that goes into it and really what kind of it, how it happens or what it does. They don't understand the mechanics, but they are so supportive. And I know that's not the same story for everybody. So I'm very, very, very fortunate that not only were they incredibly supportive, but they also were so supportive and had no idea what what I was in they had no way to relate but they still were just you know hands up you do you um and we'll we'll support what you want and my husband's the same way and I've just been I've been very very fortunate in my family and my friends who are all in completely different uh, fields of work and and even geographical locations <laughs> and I am so lucky to have the system that I do the support system that I do because I, I can't imagine anybody else being as lucky as I am with the people that I have in my life so yeah I've been very very fortunate what about like growing up in school did anybody support that or was it just like you know Oh, you're doing this. This is a dream that's going to die or was Oh it- yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you always got people that would especially in more as I got older, 
especially in university when people were starting to say, okay, like, what's your job going to be though? Right. And it's kind of in my field, it's one of those things where when you start, you don't have a boss, you don't have, you know, a company that you work for. Like you just got to grind and get what you can get and be hungry and, and find those jobs. You can't, every new job is like, job hunting again. And it's so it was maybe through my younger years, it was more quiet. I really didn't. um, I wasn't super open about it until high school when I started the art school. When I was young, I kept it pretty uh, kind of professional, I guess you could say. I really didn't didn't talk about it that much with my friends. I didn't talk about it at school. I I just, I had like my professional performing life and I had my regular kid life and they kind of were separate. And so I, I didn't really have anybody when I was younger saying, oh, you're, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to make it. It was when I got older and everybody around me was almost in the same boat where they're like, uh oh, what am I going to do next? That was the the moment I think that um, that everybody started to question themselves and each other. And so, yeah, so there were definitely moments uh, more so when I was a young adult that people would question, is this really what you want to do? Are you sure? Like, this is a hard road. Like you're a young, pretty girl, like that's going to be tricky and, and things like that. And um it's been a weird road sometimes like it's it's definitely not uh not a road that somebody looking at me at face value would think I would take I think is why people are surprised sometimes but for the most part I've always gotten pretty good support and I just didn't care <laughs> like at the end of the day I never wanted anything more than to create music ever in my whole life. That was the only thing that I ever truly wanted. And anybody saying otherwise or trying to stand in my way, I think I literally just would shut them out because I don't want anything else. I can't imagine doing anything else. I can't think of doing anything else it's it's me that is who I am and if you know I think it got to a point where I was like I'm either gonna make it or I don't and at this point I'm just gonna pretend I'm gonna make it and make it I like I don't know even what the rule is is that a successful thing to do <laughs> but um yeah like I said like I've just had such great support and anything that was in the negative, I just said, you know what, I'm going to work harder instead. And anybody and who, and whenever, excuse me, whenever it was <laughs> negative, I never do that. Whenever it was negative, you just like said, all right, I'm just going to, I have a drive for this. I'm just going to just go and just see wherever it takes me pretty much. Yeah, I would always, I always took criticism pretty well. So I would always say, okay, why? tell me, tell me why so I can fix it. And then I would work harder and I'd fix that thing and I'd figure out how to make that better. And 
I'd figure out how to get there and do this and buy that. And I think that's what just kept me going was any negativity would just be an opportunity to grow and work harder and get closer to what I want. So you took, so you took criticism really well then. I think I, I think I, I, I did. And I still do. I try to, um, I know it's always hard in a creative field and no one ever, I think takes it. If you're a creator, you know, that criticism is hard to take sometimes, but I just, I always grew up. And this was one of the things that my parents ingrained in me, even though they aren't in a creative field was anything that someone can tell you, you did wrong, or you could do better, just do it better, make it better, work harder. And you'll get, and you'll get there. And that's kind of just the mentality that I've tried to maintain. Um, I've definitely had a lot luckier breaks than a lot of people. And I won't ignore that. I, um, you know, I came from a family that was able to support me with, you know, paying for lessons and helping me with buying some of my early equipment and things like that. And, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't get, you know, some be- like benefits from the way that my support system was. Um, but at the same time, I still truly believe that I worked the hardest that I possibly could. And I still to this day, I do. And that's what really matters to my family. And that's what really matters to myself is if I don't put 110% into everything, then I have not done my job. And that's my kind of rule, I guess, for everything. Wow. What about, did you have any like major setbacks in your life that when it came to music or just in general that just set you back from making content or being creative? Actually, yeah, very recently I did. Um, I had a very rare spinal condition. Um, I got married September 3rd of this past year, 2022. And um, throughout the last two years, I've had kind of ongoing headache type things. I won't go into full detail, but three days after my wedding, I was bedridden for three months. And I ended up having to go um, to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and uh, they diagnosed me with a rare spinal fluid condition and I had to get a surgery. And um, so that's put me out of commission for it. It put me out of commission. It was kind of funny. Um, I right after the surgery, I booked a gig um, thinking that I that everything was going to be fixed and better and I was going to be able to do it. And that's, if that's not proof of the 110% that I just said, then I don't know what is, but I, um, yeah, immediately after my surgery, I booked a gig, uh, between then and Christmas, a thriller, um, feature and thank God they had me collaborating with another composer because I was still very much in recovery and very much on like underestimated, overestimated, I guess my ability, um, that I would be able to do it. So actually this whole kind of fall and into the holiday was a huge step back in my career. Um, 
which was very upsetting for me. I'm a, a workaholic and it was very difficult for me to accept my limitations at the time. And um, so, yeah, so I guess that to answer your question, that's been um, probably the most memorable setbacks so far. I mean, I had small setbacks throughout my life. I've had other health issues and, and all kinds of setbacks and family issues and things like that. Everybody does, but I guess that's been the most, um, the most impactful on my career because my career really just started about 10 years ago, right? Um, I'm still fair, not even 10 years ago. I think I, my first real paid gig was 2015. So about not even eight years. And, um, so, you know, I'm still fairly early in my career. If you count, you know, COVID and the following years as kind of half years almost <laughs> in a way. And, so it was very difficult for me to have to accept those limitations and not be 110% and working towards what I want. And it's still very hard for me to accept that lost time um, because it was different than lockdown. Lockdown, I was able to still be productive and learn and practice and, you know, do those things that would improve me. Um, but when I was sick, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And that, that was very hard for me at the time, of course, but even now it's hard for me to think about losing that, you know, basically six months, the last six months, I've just kind of started coming out of the hole recently. Um, and yeah, so it, that's probably been the biggest setback career wise in the thick of my career. And that's crazy too. I mean, like, you found out you had a spinal, like a rare uh, spinal condition mm -hmm. and you still booked the gig just because you want the work. <laughs> but the fact that you, like that, that had to be scary for you. Like, I mean, it I'm was, Oh, it was terrifying. And we didn't know what it was um, until we went to Minnesota. We didn't know what the condition was and uh, no one could figure it out here. And so we knew we had to go somewhere else. Um, and so it was, it was very scary. It was, um, yeah, it was definitely one of the most terrifying points of my life and sad. And I missed out on a lot and, but, you know, everyone's got to go through shit at some point, right? <laughs> like we all, we all got to have some, some point of humility where the universe just knocks us down a peg and reminds us, Hey, you're still human, you know, <laughs> like, like you're not be humble. Yeah, exactly. Be humble, be kind and, um, and give back to the universe because it can be taken away from you, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, so I just read something on Twitter, um, a YouTuber, he found out he had a testicular cancer and, mm -hmm. uh, they called it early. And this guy, he, he's done everything, but like, seven million you know uh subscribers isn't going to fix you know his problem and luckily yeah. he caught it early but it's just like you know when you're in the entertainment and if you're doing big things then like yeah that one setback it just it completely throws you off and screws up like a whole lot i feel like it does and it, it really messes with your mind 
too. And, um, and I'm sure lots of people out there, especially in the film industry can relate to what I'm feeling, um, that, that loss of time really, it really hurts as much as, as painful as the condition itself was looking back on it and seeing all that time wasted is really hard too. And it's really sad trying to get back to things, um, sometimes and explaining, having to always explain where I've been (laughs) kind of, and, um, and reliving it. It's just not fun, but it, it just, I'm trying to take it as a reminder to be humble and a reminder to really um, be grateful and enjoy things in life and the big things, small things, everything, because it's everything is precious. There's not a single thing that isn't important in this world. Yeah. I mean, it's it kind of, I mean, I kind of had a couple setbacks this year at like, so in august my cousin died of brain cancer and then i'm so sorry it's fine and 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 then my wife's uncle he passed away just unexpectedly at the hospital and that put me in kind of like a uh, like a dark depression yeah because like i work in radio that's my job and i do this but it's still just like the creativity that i had i just didn't want to do it just because i wasn't like I just wasn't feeling it. You know what I mean? And thinking back, like yeah, around the totally, holidays, yeah. it, it just sucked. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We had, we had some deaths in our family and friends um, during the last couple of years too. And it never gets easy or, no. <laughs> you know, it's never easy. And we neither neither is worse than the other it's none of it is fun and um so i'm i'm really sorry to hear that i know how you feel and it's really it is really hard and it's really hard to um get your brain out of a out of that place especially as a creative person we're just wired that way to feel those emotions and feel them very deeply sometimes a lot deeper than maybe the average person. And, um, and so those things hit us harder. And I, I really feel that I get that. And I'm really sorry for your losses. Thank you. Uh, And it's, it's, and like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like a lot of people who look up to either say you or me, they have to realize that we're people too, and that we aren't as invincible as they think we are. Because a lot of, I feel like, a lot of people that work in entertainment or creative, they have like this weird, like sense, like we're invincible and we could do whatever we want, but they also don't realize what we've been through. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think um, we have to all put on, especially nowadays with social media, we all put on a face and nobody sees really behind the scenes, you know, it doesn't matter if you're even on a reality show, nobody sees everything. Right. And that's when you see the real people is when you see them go through something difficult, when you see them, you know, um, making dinner, when you see them just doing regular human things and you figure out that 
well, I don't think anybody really ever figures out that just everybody's human. Everybody's human and everybody does human things and everybody has human problems. And you can't escape that by any level of fame or money or any of that or followers, you know, like we are all human and we all live in this universe and it's, you know, we all have to also at some point acknowledge, yeah, that even the people we see on the screen that we see as perfect or, you know, what we always aspire to be or anything like that. And like, it's, it's really hard nowadays, especially I think to say they're human like me, like they go through things too. And, um, but I think when we have those moments in life that I guess we can say, you know, when bad things happen to us, at least it gives us a moment of clarity and a moment of, um, for me anyway, I feel it as a moment of, again, taking the negativity and seeing the contrast and then making that negativity help me appreciate the positivity. So, you know, I see myself bedridden in pain for three months, but now when I go out for lunch with a friend, I am 10 times happier and more grateful to see them smile, you know, because I know what it's like, what it feels like to miss out on that and to want that. And those are simple things that you don't really think about um, being that grateful for at in the moment until it's gone. And I think everybody goes through that at some point in their life, some earlier than others, some later than others, some harsher than others, some easier than others. But um, I think it's just part of the part of being human that we all have to go through something at some point. And it's all about how you how you use that towards the rest of your life, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this podcast for eight years, eight years this June it will be. I try to make as everything as real as I can. Like I try to, and I know I probably shouldn't, but I always want to implement person, <clears throat> excuse me, personal like things happening in my life, whether it's good or bad, or I think it's funny or dumb to be honest, but <laughs> like I, I do it because it's more therapy than me. And I always like, to connect with people who listen because I know people who listen, they're obviously going through something that like, you know, in their family or they're getting kicked out of their house because they're either gay or they're coming out transgender and whatnot. And I've helped people, you know, when it comes to talking, because like, I feel like, I feel like there should be a voice out there to like make people like help people get through certain things, depending on like whether I have a similar experience or it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, I think it's great that you do this podcast in that way, because you're not going to get, you know, I'm not going to relate to every single person, you know, every single person that listens to this podcast isn't going to say, yeah, I feel that, you know, I I might get some of them, but another um, guest that you might have might, might relate to them more, you know, and it's, I think it's important for people like you to do these things, to have people come and be real um, 
in this kind of setting so that people have the chance to, to see that, you know, humans are humans. Right. And so I, I congratulate you and, and really appreciate that you do do this because it's a great thing that you're putting out into the universe. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, and it takes like, I feel like a lot of people, like a lot of people would be afraid to share the story that you shared with me because like, it's something traumatic that happened to them. And, you know, I, I like that you did that because whenever I do interviews, I like diving deep into somebody's life just to see how much horrible things or great or good things they've been through because a lot of people go through shit and you went through something that was traumatic and a lot of people feel uncomfortable sharing that which you know i always whenever i do the interviews i always say okay mics are off i'll do the interview and then let's see where it goes that's why when i said let's wing it it just that's what i do yeah (laughs) that's my little trick but that's the trick yeah well what works works but yeah yeah, I mean, we all and we all have our own lifelong issues, too. I've had, you know, I've battled with mental illness my whole life, too. And if anyone listening can relate to that, I hear you. I'm here. What I, was that know. like? Um, if you don't mind sharing. Oh, God, it's a <laughs> it started when I was very young. Uh, like some of my earliest memories are are um, like panic attacks. Oh, wow. And um so yeah, it's it's an ongoing long lifelong thing that I've learned to manage. And the sad part is is that a lot of people it doesn't happen until later in life or they don't discover it until later in life and it's harder to um create habits, good habits or um get rid of the bad habits that make it worse or better, right? And uh, when you're older, it's harder to do those things than when you're younger. Um, but again, as hard as a lot of that has been throughout my life, I think it has helped me become a better composer because I have a level of empathy that I don't think is the norm. I think that I really, when I watch a film or a TV show or any kind, whatever I'm watching, I, I really deeply feel what's the character is feeling and what the audience is supposed to feel. I feel it personally. And I think that really truly makes me better at my job. So looking back on my life, there were a lot of really hard times with that, with mental illness and and that difficulty. But at the same time, I want to be grateful for some of it because I think that it made me better at what I love to do and better at communicating to audiences which is my goal right that's that's what i need to do is i need to make audience feel an audience feel something and i truly think that even though i've experienced negative things in my life i can use that negativity as again <laughs> room to grow and something to um kind of bounce off of and use as a tool to, um, to do my job, to improve myself as a person, to improve my career, to improve myself as a friend, a wife, a daughter, and 
so again, um, you know, I, I go back to the beginning. I just, I really, I really do try. And I know it is so hard um, for everybody. And I, it is hard for me. I've had a lot of practice, but um, I really, really am committed to trying to take any negativity that I've experienced or that I will experience and try to make some good out of it because that's all you can do. If you sit and stew in how terrible it was and relive it for the sake of hurting, you will never recover and you'll never be happy. But if you can sit on it and use it as a tool to improve something else in your life, and maybe that's just improving your communication with your partner or improving your long distance friendships or improving the way that you look at yourself or the way you do your job. If you can use that as a tool, just like I get criticism at work and I use that as a tool. um, I think that everybody can have that inside them and grow through that, through those things and not trying, at least trying to do that would be, you know, it'd be a waste. It would be a waste of going through that difficulty and coming out stronger and not using that strength. That's kind of how I see it, I guess. Um, So yeah, I guess to anybody listening, everyone's been through hard times. Don't let them go to waste. Use them. Yeah, no, I I feel that. I mean, even after COVID, I feel like I had a little bit of some like panic attacks just going out because like we were, we were locked up for like I mean almost a year or longer. Yeah. Yeah. And once like we started getting into like crowds of people, it just I remember just in the supermarket, my wife and I were just in there, and I was just I don't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. Even even like during the beginning when the whole lockdown procedure and you know watching the news and seeing it like I was oh, having it was terrifying yeah like yeah I couldn't sleep I was I remember I worked at a car dealership she worked in a warehouse and I remember I would be exhausted because I couldn't sleep and I would have panic attacks just because I I was worried about what could happen yeah. Absolutely. It it was a terrifying time for the entire planet. Like it's, it's not a small feat that we all went through. It was, it was a really big deal for everybody on the planet. And I, I think we can, we should all acknowledge that nobody should say that it was easy. It was not easy for anybody. And that if anything, that's something that can unite us as a, as a population of the world, right. Is we all went through something hard at the same time. And it was all probably on a similar ish level, you know, and I, if anything can pull us together as a community, it should be something like that, you know? So I hope that that is a good thing that comes out of it, you know? And you would like think like, you know, the whole world went through it. Like we wouldn't be going to Russia and Ukraine wouldn't be at war with each other because they also went through the same similar, you know, similar thing. And now like, it's just like, it's amazing how we went through this big whole ordeal, the whole planet. 
and now it's just like people are at each other's throats more like i feel like everybody's like less patient anymore if that's what i'm like really trying to get at if you know what i mean yeah well i mean everybody handles trauma differently too right everybody handles difficulty in their life totally differently and they and everyone feels it probably a little differently in different levels and not everybody has coping skills not everybody has support systems not everybody has access to help and or you know a community to to support them it's so it's as much as we can say we all experience the same thing we didn't all experience it the same way so i would love for it to unite everybody in the way that we all felt something bad at the same time but we didn't all feel it exactly the same way so it, you're right it is hard to kind of understand but i think it would have been hard to understand a lot of those things even if covid hadn't happened you know or i just i think that a lot of those things i guess just for the example sake of example the ukraine and russia war do we think it would have happened if covid hadn't happened anyway i don't know i have no idea and so it's it's one of those things that it's like we just we don't really know a hundred nobody knows a hundred percent of what's going on especially way over here right like we don't we'll never know a hundred percent of the information of what is happening and so there's just no fathomable way that we will ever fully understand what they're going through and what's going on. And I'm not saying we should bury our heads in the sand. That's absolutely not what we should do. We should support, but it's to say that, um, you know, shouldn't we all have banded together after COVID and why is this happening? I don't think it really has anything to do with COVID. Like the more I talk through it, it's like maybe it would have happened even if COVID hadn't happened. I don't know. I have no idea. Like somebody would have done something. Like, you know, there's there's always something going on in the world that is terrible. And that's sad and it sucks. And I wish that it wasn't that way, but it is. And the best thing we can do is support our fellow humans and try to try our best to educate ourselves and learn and understand so that we can be a support for each other. Not so we can argue, not so we can, you know, tweet so that we can support each other and be there for each other when we need it. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's the other thing with social media and the news, like I become more and more hateful towards it, even though I'm on it all the time. Yeah, I I really wish like I grew up in the age of the 80s and 90s where phones weren't even and internet wasn't even a thing. Because I just feel like social media has really ruined a lot of people's lives. And it's really affected mental health of kids. And I mean, like teenagers today, I mean, you see a lot of teenagers that are going through some like, major things. And I think it's absolutely social media. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, I hate social media too. I, I took a, like, um, kind of halfway through COVID 
between then and only, I don't know, maybe six months ago, a year ago, I basically took kind of a full hiatus and just, I deleted the apps from, I didn't delete my accounts, but I deleted the apps so that I wouldn't go on them or use them unless I needed to, because for work, um, there's a lot, I, I get gigs sometimes through Facebook, Facebook groups and stuff like that. So that was the only thing that I really kind of held on to. But, um, but for the most part, I kind of avoided all of it because it was, it was really having a negative impact on my mental health. Like, and it's, but it's too bad that a lot of our world is kind of built on that now. And, um, that's the reason why I had to get back on was because I was back to building my business and, um, and you need it. If you have a business, you need to have good social media. That's just the way it is. And, um, but you're right. I, I think that there's a lot of negatives about it. Um, I think there's positives like my, uh, closest, closest friends live in Ireland Switzerland, Spain, LA, and I have one here. And basically that's like my closest, closest, closest friends. And all of them, the only way that I truly feel a part of their lives every day, even though they're literally on the other side of the planet, is through social media is so I can see their stories is so that I can see their posts and see their, you know, on a trip with their boyfriend, or I can see that they're having a family dinner for Thanksgiving or whatever. Right. And, and I can be a part of those moments in some kind of form. Whereas pre internet, I would have had to just call them and that's all I would have had. I wouldn't have been able to see their face on FaceTime. I wouldn't have been able to be a part kind of of those moments and see those moments happening. And so for me, that's a positive of internet and social media. And not everybody has, you know, relationships with people that are on the other side of the world, that's for sure. But um, for me, I like, I don't know what I would do without it, um, having these relationships so far away. This is really the only thing that keeps me on it is that and my business yeah that that's my father-in-law's girlfriend is in the same boat her son lives in uh, scotland Mm -hmm. with his uh wife and you know we actually met them this year which is pretty cool and now my wife has a relationship with uh you know his girlfriend's wife uh, son's wife which is pretty interesting but no i see what you mean though there are positives to it because i see my cousins who i never see until like our big family reunion i see what yeah. they're going through which is cool in its own special way you know right yeah you still feel more connected with them than if you know it were the 80s and all you had was a phone and even then like like long distance charges to ireland can you imagine oh my god I, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. See, I always like have this like theory, like if I had a time machine, I would just want to spend a week in like a certain decade just to see how it was like. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I bet you like if we, if we traveled to like 1980, we would just, we would look different than everybody. We would probably like have like different attire and everyone would look at us like we're crazy and it would be really bizarre just to see what it would be like. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, there's even like there's theories about literal like physical human evolution having changed over the last hundred years. Like our bodies have the theories. Okay. I like I'm not <laughs> saying that I know any facts about this, but I've read articles about theories that um that the human race, I guess, it is still going through evolutionary changes as like a physical species and over even the last hundred years has changed. So even if we, you know, transplanted ourselves a hundred years ago, physically, just physically, our faces and our bodies would probably look different than they would then, right? Um, Just, it's also environmental, it's lifestyle, it's all those things affect, um, you know, your body and how you grow and how you age too. Right. So, um, it's not just the, maybe a theory that we are still evolving. It's also just our lifestyles are different, right? We're not smoking all the time anymore, or we're not, um, we're not in a, in a world war where we're literally starving. Well, I hope most, you know, us in our part of the world, thank God, knock on wood, thank God right now we're not. But, um, but if you just to look at North America, um, a hundred years ago, right. If you were to compare it's, it would be completely different if you went and just went for a visit for a week in like 1920, like you would totally, you probably look like sort of an alien. I would look like an alien, like, you know, cause it's, it's just, different you know and but that's kind of a it's kind of a cool thing about um humanity I guess but um but it's yeah it's an interesting idea of you know taking a trip for a week to a a different decade (laughs) I'm like interested in history because like I remember back like we would learn like back in like the 17 1800s even before then like the bc days and i remember hearing my history teacher saying well you know earth was really just all big one island and once earthquakes and like you know things happen that's when everything started to split yeah they called it like pangea i think right Yeah. yeah and it makes me think like the fact that earth is literally just one big island split because of earthquakes it makes me think like if that never happened, would we all be like united as one instead of just saying you're this is Russia, we're North America, that's South America. You know what I mean? Like it just makes me think like if that never happened and we were just one big island, how would it affect the world that we live in today? Yeah, but you also look at, you know, the continent of just Europe and Russia and Asia, and that's all the same plot of land. Yeah, you know, pretty much. they're still completely different borders. And so I just don't know. I don't think it would have changed anything. In my opinion, if you're asking my opinion, I don't think it would have changed a thing. No problem. In fact, in fact, I think we would have had an even more um, issue with population size because it would have been a lot easier and safer probably to have lots of children right? When people were coming to um, North America and they weren't um, the, the natives of the, of the area, 
they didn't know how to survive here. I always joke about like where I live because um, I always joke that the Westerners must have come in like July or August. And then by November, we're like, we've made a big mistake. Like, <laughs> this is really bad because then it suddenly drops the temperature way low. Right. And, um, and so I always kind of joked about that. But, um, but it's, yeah, I, I think that it actually probably would have been worse because then we would have had more people to worry about um to feed and to house and all that and borders would probably be even more rough i think that having separation it is good, <laughs> <be> good. Like, <laughs> you kind of talk about like you hear about relationship advice and stuff and sometimes space is good like yeah. you know so I, I don't know i think i think that everything happens for a reason and maybe that was the reason is that humanity needed space from one another for a little while <laughs> the one thing that actually kind of scares me uh today like i heard it on the radio um they're actually i don't know if you've ever heard of like ai artificial intelligence oh yeah the composer groups are just buzzing about it right now i, I don't replacing I don't, our jobs even yeah I, I don't get it like because like that that could be it, it, god forbid if some if like we got hacked that yeah. could go a complete 360 it could be a 360 in just a matter of just a second because like artificial intelligence it's a good idea but at the same time it's not a good idea i know i agree and it would take a lot of jobs a lot of jobs from humans the way that it's going right now it already has in a lot of ways um but it would I think it's, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to really say a strong opinion one way or the other, but in my field, I know it scares the shit out of me because there's definitely like AI programs that are creating orchestral music and it's going to be cheaper. And, you know, but like films that have low budgets, which is the very large majority of filmmaking, <laughs> they're probably going to say you know what we're going to go with this ai or ai um generator because we don't have the money for a composer instead of hiring a composer who will do it for free or close to free just for the opportunity if they're a student or whatever right they'd rather just go with ai because it's easy right it's just easier and it's cheaper and you know um that's my worry is that it's just going to completely phase out the whole starting level of my career at least and that puts a huge dent because then how do you get to the next level you can't get to the next level if you don't have any any credits right and right so that's going to be a real struggle I think for the young like the composers that haven't even started being composers yet like that they're going to be the ones that are going to struggle I think if this AI in our field really takes off I think it's going to be an issue it kind of scares me with radio too because like most of everything is voice tracked and I know only certain places there is like a lot of the, there is like 24 7 radio you know connections where people are live but yeah it, like they tested it on the radio and pretty much it sounded like it was it was just robotic like hi how you doing good i had a yeah. good day today and then like the guy on the show he was just like 
now I know personally, I would never say that. So this AI doesn't work. Like, yeah. I, I just think the whole concept of, of that is just dumb personally. Yeah. And it, it's kind of creepy. It's, um, it's like that, um, oh, what do they call it? There's a term for it. I think they call it the um, uncanny valley. What is it? It's a it's a kind of a human mental phenomenon. Um, let me just look it up for a second. That's fine. Um, yeah. So there's this kind of um, brain function um, that when we see something that is like it it resembles a human or it resembles like human features and but you know it's not in some way like this is what um horror movies and things like that play off a lot is when um something like kind of resembles human things and and initiates that emotional response but in some ways you know it's not real it's not human they actually had that issue a lot with um when do you remember the um cats movie with taylor swift and rebel wilson and um the way that they kind of cgi'd everybody into these cat characters it really freaked people out like there were a lot of articles about how it was like really freaking people out and this is when i first heard about this term the uncanny valley is because um people's brains were looking at it and like I know this is supposed to be kind of human but it doesn't it's not it's like it doesn't feel right right like and it freaks people out in intuitively and um i think that's going to be a really big problem with ai is that it's going to seem it's going to feel like it's supposed to be real and human but it it will feel like it's not and it's going to be kind of freaky and i think that's where it's at right now maybe it'll get to a point where it starts to feel natural which i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> and but right now, I don't think it's at the point that, um, especially like something that's trying to resemble a human ex- a human um, presentation, I don't think we're near the level yet of like really absorbing them as kind of a being other than a robot. Yeah, I mean, I've seen stuff like that on TikTok where like, I guess it's AI, I'm not entirely sure, but whenever I scroll through, I see on TikTok live, there is a robot and it looks like an actual human and you see the eyes and the face. Uh, It's really freaky that we're, that we're going into an age where everything's just going to be artificial intelligence because now it's just, you you would never think this would happen back in 2006 when Will Smith made a iRobot. Yeah. Uh, You know what I mean? Yeah. It felt dystopian, not, um, not futuristic <laughs> i hate movies they gave they gave away a bad idea <laughs> uh, i think it would have happened sooner or later without the movies unfortunately did you also hear that like now that <clears throat> people like musicians who have died like many years ago that they're using holograms of them and they're actually selling concert tickets where you could actually go and see Elvis or Michael Jackson perform, but it's really just a hologram of them. I think as long as it's acknowledged that and respected um, that their memory is respected and that they're 
passing is respected. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, how is it any different from the movie Blonde or the movie Elvis, where they made an entire movie representing a person who has passed? Like, I don't, I don't really see necessarily a big difference. You right. know, you're paying a ticket to go see a movie about someone's life who just passed away, or you're going mm-hmm. to pay a ticket to see a concert of a hologram. It's kind of, it's a little bizarre, but like, I don't see anything in my opinion, ethically wrong with it as long as everything is respected. And I think I should hope that they would do that well. Um, I, I don't know how I would feel about it, like seeing it. Um, and I don't know how their family members would see it. Cause that's the thing for me that I don't know what that would be like. Right. Uh, having like strangers watch that of a family <laughs> member. I, I don't know. Like you're making me think twice about it now too. I'm like, I don't know, actually, that does seem like a very bizarre thing. But like just substantially, I'm like, is it different from Elvis or Blonde or like any of those movies about their life? Is it like that different? I don't know. Like maybe it is. Yeah. Now you're making me think about it more. (laughs) I know. Right. It's kind of like that weird thing. But ultimately, they just they need to respect the person that has passed and their family and um, and their story. And that's that's what really 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 matters but um i don't know how i would feel about watching it i don't know (laughs) uh yeah i honestly i couldn't tell you (laughs) i've never really thought about it and it's weird too like a lot of kids don't know who elvis is and i i do appreciate when um film composers or writers make uh you know movies about either elvis or uh, what was the queen for that you know for oh, example. Bohemian Rhapsody yes it was great yeah and now it seems like a lot of companies because I heard this on the radio as well Applebee's pay like uh, owns the songs owns the song I want to say start me start me up or start it up from the stones oh okay they own the song for some reason I didn't know that <laughs> apparently it's new i mean it made news today and now like a lot of kids are like listening to the stones because they didn't know who the stones were you know oh, there you go and i find it amazing that a lot of you know companies are actually doing that or movies are you know implementing songs that kids don't know and then now like the songs yeah, i think are, it's great yeah it, well I mean, same thing with stranger things too good to mm-hmm. keep push I mean, they're, they're iconic moments of human history. They should be shared, right? And in, a, in again, a respectful way. But yeah, you're right. Like the, those, those things, especially the songs, the music, the creations that were made, they should still be shared and enjoyed forever. I mean, we, we still enjoy Bach and Beethoven. And, and so why not in 300 years could we enjoy queen or elvis or rolling stones or any any of them right like we should we should keep them alive in that way um but yeah uh so i i i agree i like seeing that in a younger population um 
because it just keeps it alive. It keeps it growing. It keeps, you know, their memory alive too, because they had an impact on the world that deserves to be remembered. And, um, so that's important too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same thing with the Beatles. I mean, you got to respect them. Paul McCartney and Ringo are, they're like 80 and they're still, they're still going. Yeah, I mean, I I saw Paul McCartney in concert when he came here. He was doing that big like world tour. He was he was really kicking it. Like he was man, and that was probably ten years ago. But still, like he's still killing it. Like good for him. I really wish I would have saw. So Elton John came to Philadelphia. That's where I'm from. I'm like right outside of Philly. Okay. And I was so upset that we didn't get to go to his concert. Oh, it probably was really good. His so we had tickets to give away and you had to win them on the radio but if you worked for the station you couldn't get them because his his people are so cheap which i don't know why the guys made millions but literally like i would have i would have died to have seen elton john because oh. i think that was his last tour yeah oh he would have been amazing i'm sure oh my god i think he has one more tour left in him I, I I think he does. He's not that old. He's not, he's not. And he seems like the type of guy that like would want to perform again. I don't know him, but he seems like quite the performer. So <laughs> I would I, think. <laughs> I mean, whenever I would listen to his music back when I was like 13, like, I don't know, like his, his lyrics and the tone of the music just like kind of like stuck with me, kind of gave me goosebumps in a way. Which is what you do, obviously. I mean, <laughs> but I just like that. I just like the style of just like a mellow, you know, soft rock type, you know, feel. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's iconic. So that's understandable. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So when you lived in LA, what was that like? Oh, I loved it. You loved it? Oh, I loved it. Um, I just loved being surrounded by people like me and people that I could nerd out with and, um, and just people that were creative and wanted the same things and envisioned the same things. And it was, it was great. And, and the weather was great. <laughs> love the weather. But most of all, I just, I love being there and being a part of that community and that world. Um, because I don't, we just don't have it here yet. I hope that it grows here, but the film community obviously in LA will be forever the best, I'm sure. And, uh, and I just, I love being there. I love meeting new people and, and hearing new stories and talking about film and music. And I just don't really get that opportunity here. So I go there to do that as much as I can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I loved, I just loved living there and being there 24 seven. It was, it was amazing. Did you meet anybody famous at all? Um, I mean, I guess all the composers in, in remote control were famous to me. <laughs> I guess a lot of people wouldn't really know them um but Hans Zimmer I mean he yeah yeah so I met Hans Zimmer many times um during my time there and um 
we had, I was, there's a society for composers and lyricists and they would have like film screenings with Q and A's with the composer after. So I went to almost every single one of those. So I met lots of composers and some directors and stuff um, just, just briefly uh, through that. But it's funny, I, I never had any like weird, rare sightings of like a celebrity at Starbucks or like anything like that. <laughs> I never had that. And I don't know whether it was just I wasn't paying attention or um, or where I was. I don't know. But um, but I think I was just very focused on my world and my goals and my people and um so I don't, yeah, I, I don't think I had any really like celebrity sightings other than the people kind of within my realm, I guess you could say. <laughs> I think the, when I worked in Philly, I, the one sighting I had was Frankie Muniz. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, I was <laughs> I a, remember him. I was a valet driver and I see this like, um, oh, what the, it was like a big black SUV and no and like i see two people jump out and i see frankie jump out i'm like oh my god i'm like this was my favorite did malcolm was my favorite show i, I was Aww. like i gotta score a picture with this guy <laughs> scored a picture with him and then because they were there for like a comic con event um and i just remember seeing a bunch of people that stayed at the hotel and i just you know i wanted to go up to them but we had to be professional about it but with frankie yeah. Muniz, i was like this is a once in a lifetime thing i gotta get it <laughs> that's awesome yeah but yeah i mean that that was my only famous encounter and like working where i work now like i feel like i would rather work in the morning because like a lot of like it seems like a lot of celebrities like to come in the morning and not mm. like during the afternoon which i'm a little upset about but <laughs> miss out on a few good people but other than that yeah but that's good though you have any upcoming projects that you're working on uh, at the moment, no, I'm kind of in between. I'm doing the networking thing, still recovering from my surgery and um, just trying to get back in the game, even just physically. Like I'm, you know, I'm still kind of recovering and dealing with some of that. So I'm trying to slowly get back to my world. But um, but yeah, once I finished that thriller before Christmas, I was like, OK, I better I better wait until. I'm a little more sure of my health status here before I jump into another thing. So I'm kind of taking this this portion a little slower. <laughs> How long does sur that surgery take? Um, the surgery, it only took, it wasn't very long. It only probably took an hour, but um, but the repercussions of it were long because right. it, um, it, it, I won't get into the details, but right. it basically kind of um backfires and then my body has to learn how to rebalance up itself and so um recovery has been a lot of learning how to rebalance my body learning how to rebalance itself and it's just been it's been quite a <laughs> quite a difficult process but um but I'm getting there I think I think I'm knock on wood nearing the end of it so I mean, you seem, you look really healthy right now. Like you look like you're, you know, thank you. Energetic. Yeah. I'm getting a little sleepy now, <laughs> but, um, but it's also earlier here. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 
I'm better. I'm better. I'm definitely not my um old up until 4 a.m. in the studio self yet, but um I'll get there. Is that your you're in your studio right now, right? I am, yeah. Yeah. I like it. it's very it has like a chill vibe. I like the <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I make sure that the lighting helps me get in the zone and I've got my coffee maker and you know my fridge with all all the beverages. <laughs> what is that what is that picture behind you that it's that actually one? not a picture it's a it's a an acoustic sonic diffuser so okay. it's actually a bunch of little chunks of wood different shapes and they had a friend uh who built them he built one and then he also spray painted it for me okay. in my colors so it's just wood but spray painted and uh it's it looks like art it's beautiful but it's actually functional too it it's um a diffuser so the panels on my walls are absorbers so they absorb frequencies this is the short version okay i'm giving you the crash course of like <laughs> acoustic room treatment um and i have bass traps in the corners to absorb bass frequencies and then the job of the diffuser is so that when sound hits it instead of absorbing it it actually disperses it into a more it, it disperses the frequencies in a more um equal ish way whereas when you're in a square room or like any kind of room that has any sort of corners shapes whatever um that isn't perfectly isn't acoustically perfect um you need absorbers and you need diffusers because you need to be able to absorb uh frequencies that you don't want and you need to be able to evenly distribute the frequencies that you do want so you've got to have a little bit of both so that's kind of the crash course on that i guess gotcha yeah well i do have a million questions but i'm going to let you go uh where can people find you i have a website and i have social media but uh i prefer people go to my website it's really easy it's just my full name so www.sierraprosnick and that's C-I-A-R-A, and then Prosnick, P-R-O-Z-N-I-K.com. And you can have all my info there. I have um, samples of my work, a little more information about like me and my career. And uh, yeah, and feel free to visit and contact me and say hi. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks thanks for coming on. I kept you for over like 100 hours, so... (laughs) great it was so great to chat so thank you so much for having me no problem yeah i mean when so uh one quick little story when we were going when we were texting back and forth i was in the middle of watching an eagles game and i must have not read it correctly (laughs) when i sent you the first zoom link i was like all right i'm ready and then you were like wait you said the seventh i was like oh yeah (laughs) sorry yeah i i uh kept i keep a very detailed calendar so i was pretty sure i got the the (laughs) right it made me kind of feel dumb for a second i'm like wait oh it's okay it's all good i get that a lot (laughs) my the film field is like that all the time so don't don't feel bad (laughs) no problem yeah that's why i know never to work and watch eagles at the same time (laughs) at a bar oh yeah then you're distracted for sure yeah definitely (laughs) well uh yeah thanks again for coming on it was fun yeah thank you thank you so much for having me it was great you're welcome. Wow. Wow, what a great interview. That was really good. 
I love interviews like that. I really do. I mean, literally doing interviews like this, it really just, you know, inspires the hell out of me. It does. You know what? I enjoyed it. I really did. And I hope, you know, you guys enjoy it too. I hope everyone enjoys what's to come. So I also have a couple other interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. I got um, Jumpin' Juvies coming, a band. Maybe just a few of them, but maybe the man. Who knows? We also have another interview with a guy named Josh coming up. And we have a returning guest coming, which I haven't seen in forever, named Martino. And Martino has been on the show actually a long time ago. But uh, I'm bringing it back to 2017, back in the good old days. But let's see, uh, coming up. All right, so Friday, we are going to be doing a Super Bowl show. So pretty much, I'm going to be talking about everything about the Super Bowl, what's going on with the Super Bowl, prize, some stuff going on in the world, and so on and so forth. Uh, oh, well, that was gross. Anyways, yeah, so we'll be doing that on Friday. Um, then Monday, we'll, you know, whoever wins, I guess. If the Eagles win, we'll talk about that as well. And then I think that's really it. Oh, and then we have another interview coming up on Wednesday. So we have a lot of fun things coming your way. All right, everybody. Love you all to death. I'll see you guys later. Um, have a good weekend. Go Eagles. And uh, I'll see you guys on Friday. Bye.